Annyeong. Welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I am your host, Darren. Today, I am joined by only one guest, and that is Jordan Sam from the podcast War and Beast. Hello, Jordan. Annyeong. And today, we're going to be covering episode 11 of season 2, which is titled Out on a Limb. Uh, which is weird because, <laughs> I mean, the actual payoff of that joke yeah. um, doesn't come until the last three seconds of the episode. So uh, I guess it could refer to, to Maggie Liza and some of the stuff with her uh, and her case, maybe. I don't know. It's just a bit of an odd title. It was originally broadcast back to back with the next episode on the 6th of March, 2005. Uh, it's written by Chuck Martin and Jim Vallali, both of whom have been writing partners for Mitch Hurwitz on this show and it was directed by uh I, I don't know how to say this surname but it's like wiener but with an l but i don't think it's danny lena i think it might be lenye uh i can't figure out how to say his name because it's not like i've ever heard it anywhere but uh he he is a director with a very a very kind of like varied career um he he had like a, a film in um like 1992 called the great new wonderful um which is a film uh, that stars Tony Shalhoub and uh, Jim Gaffigan and Olympia Dukakis and a very young Maggie Gyllenhaal. I mean, which just <laughs> such an such an odd kind of debut. But then he he really made his name with Dude, Where's My Car? Oh, um, and then Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Um, which has had which has had other names in in uh, other countries because White Castle is not um, particularly well known outside the United States. So sometimes it's called Howl and Kumar get the munchies, uh, which obviously you know <laughs> began a, a a trilogy of films. Um, and and then after that he directed Arrested Development and episodes of Freaks and Geeks, uh, Gilmore Girls, <laughs> Sports Night, Felicity. Like I can't figure out like this guy's <laughs> career. It's so kind of um like you know all over the place um and then he even directed an episode of the sopranos um it's, so it's like he's just sitting in the lobby of 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 this place that people are like hey we need a director want to want to go and he's like sure yeah <laughs> I, just, I, I, I mean he's i i, I know uh, I, I was just saying it's just like it literally does seem like you know like everyone's like oh we're you know we just need someone's help here who's someone who can do this or or who's not attached to anything specific at the moment, and he's just always ready to be there to help them. <laughs> I, I guess. Um, I've, I've actually... I own the, the DVD of Dude, Where's My Car? I saw it at the cinema, um, and I've listened to the director's commentary of that film, and um, it's quite interesting because essentially it's a stoner comedy, um, but they never mention drugs in any way during the whole film from what i remember it was basically the it kind of was like the aftermath of uh like either getting blackout drunk or or just like having a really you know like a really high period and just not remembering it and they were just kind of you know just goofy characters to begin with so they didn't it's not like they had to actually continue uh being on drugs or alcohol Thing. On the on, on the commentary, they actually say there were a number of references in the original script uh, to drugs, and they had to cut them all out. Um, so it's 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 just such an it's such an odd film because in the end it turns into like a science fiction film, um, like 
you think it's just like a, a normal kind of like teen comedy, and then it yeah. ends up being science fiction. Yeah, I out of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So not to spoil too much for fans of uh, Dude Where's My Car, but yeah. So that's the career of of the director of this episode. I don't know that there's anything that he does in this episode particularly that stands out. You know, the the Maggie Liza storyline. Obviously, you know, the return of Maggie is like the is the big kind of thing in this, and the and the end of the Sally Sitwell storyline. Um, there's there's nothing kind of like flashy or you know it it just seems like a standard episode of Arrested Development. I'm not sure why uh, Danny Lenier was kind of chosen for this episode, um, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, it's it's just so odd to me. I couldn't. I looked over his career and I just could not figure out what on earth um, was going on. Um, but anyway, let me read you the summary for the episode, which is as follows. Uh, Michael lets a past flame threaten his success with Sally, but Lindsay and Tobias try to help. Buster prepares to go to Iraq. I feel like the only storyline that's kind of missing from that summary is, um, even though she doesn't actually appear until the next episode, it's Job finding out that he's going to be divorced. Um, he's been petitioned for divorce, uh, even, even though he forgot he was married. Um... Being petitioned uh, to divorce by his wife, who we know as yes. Job's wife. <laughs> yeah, uh, played at the time by Job's wife. Yeah, but we start we start out with a kind of very subtle background joke, which which becomes kind of more important later on in the episode, which is Sally Sitwell and Michael are having Sunday brunch, um, and they're at um, <laughs> Skip Churches. Um, and that name, obviously. I, I, I just got it. Yes, I just got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's very the, uh, Sally makes note of the fact that it's usually packed on Sundays, obviously because everyone is um, at skip churches. Uh, and I, I like how the narrator tells us that uh, the the bistro was also famous for something called the skip scramble, an egg dish that contained everything on the menu. Don't order the skip scramble. I love I love the scene of them carrying that in too. Like it takes two waiters. It's just this huge like and it's not like it's like a, a platter or anything. It's like uh one of the things that they have to like carry with by the, by handlebars on like between the two of them like low to the ground. Like they have to it's like they're trucking across the Yeah. The desert or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like a serving dish, isn't it? It's yeah. like a it's, it's like a large serving dish. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think you're meant to eat off those either. I no. think that they're meant for putting other things on. But yeah, I do like as well how like you know the skip scramble is brought up here, and later on we will find that Barry is in court, and the skip scramble is an, inf- an kind of important feature of that court case. Um, so I, I like how subtle they are in kind of just introducing that. Although obviously the narrator says don't order the script scramble, um, but it's it's just kind of like a, a nice background joke. And, and of course, this is where the narrator lets us know about uh, Michael and Sally's uh, record tying three lovemaking sessions in one night. <laughs> um, uh, something which they 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 jump back to a few times in the episode where we see Michael saying yes as he uh, as he finishes for the third time. Um, and and here we get the re the reappearance for the final time of uh, mommy. What will I look like? <laughs> um, previous previously this was in the the finale of um, season one and the second episode of this season, and it returns here for the last time. 
Uh, I think as I pointed out in the last episode, the premise of the the business when it was first introduced was um, people would take their babies to Lindsay and she would tell them what they would look like when they were like 70 years old or something. It was was not a successful idea for a business. And then, of course, um, you know, we kind of find out in the second episode of this season that it's now, for some reason, it's like a photo compositing um, company that lets you know what your child would look like. Um, and there is an example of, of what um, Kitty and um, George Sr.'s child would look like. And here we get a, a photograph after Sally suggests, you know, um, how different their lives would have been. And Michael says, you know, he wouldn't have had George Michael. We see a hypothetical George <laughs> Michael, which is a kind of like handsome, handsome man um, uh, presented courtesy of Lindsay's um mummy what will i look like photo simulation services and i love the small print as well that comes up as the photo appears um and we get a little bit of um david schwartz's uh i think it's my love is a fire is like the music that plays underneath um it's it's such a it's such a kind of quick joke uh and i really like it um and of course um this is where we get the idea that that Michael has brought up a few times, which is that George Michael kind of uh, doesn't approve of his dating choices or he needs to be kept out of his dating choices. We've seen this a few times with um, with Jesse and with Miss Bailey. Um, and here, um, obviously, Sally and Michael got together kind of a couple of episodes ago, actually, because they weren't. They weren't together in Ready, Aim, Marry Me, but they were kind of reacquainted a couple of episodes before that. So this is kind of like the first time that they've actually been together. And 10 minutes into the episode, they will break up. So this is not the longest of relationships. But, you know, there's the idea that George Michael needs to approve of any relationship that Michael has. Which um, which I think uh, ties into, and I think someone points this out, about him needing reasons not to be in a relationship like he's. He throws, he uses George Michael uh, as there, but it's kind of more of like his own personal wanting to, you know, hold himself, you know, hold himself back. I was going to say, I don't think it's actually accurate that that George Michael needs to know about Michael's relationships, but Michael does seem to use it as an excuse to kind of keep his distance uh, with, with different people. Yeah. And of course, George Michael is also at Skip Churches. (laughs) Um, <laughs> because he's skipping work at this particular point, uh, of course. Uh, and as as with the the last time that um, that George Michael skipped work with maybe, um, you know, last time I think he said that you know adults uh, are are allowed to you know have fun, whereas <laughs> children should be working. So there's some kind of mixed message there about what what should be going on. And obviously, I like how maybe here and Alia Shawkat does like an interesting thing where she she kind of plays this a little drunk. Not like slurring her words drunk or anything like that, but she just play it as she says later in the the ep, you know later in the scene where she says oh, I've lost my buzz. Um, <laughs> she does play it as if she's like kind of on the way to getting drunk, and I think it's funny because obviously, uh, you know, George Michael points out that there's no alcohol in a Virgin Mary, of which maybe has already had three, and so she orders a Virgin Pina Colada, <laughs> saying. <laughs> Now we'll get things started. I'm surprised she didn't order a Shirley Temple. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny actually that like you know, obviously Michael then with with Sally now meeting George Michael, Michael tries to act as if 
you know, he he's not that concerned about the banana stand. But I like the exchange yeah. where Michael says, if you want to keep it an extra hour, you know. And obviously he kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, he kind of makes it, he makes it clear that George Michael's got to keep it open that extra hour to make up for, you know, uh, having having a Sunday brunch. Because that's probably currently the only way they're making money for the Blue family. And I like this kind of weird exchange where Sally says maybe you can work on breaking the record. And Michael covers it by saying, She's a shot putter and I'm <laughs> dating her, but... I just want to make sure that you're comfortable with everything. And and I, I like I like here how um, you know George Michael suggests double dating, and of course, <laughs> this is where he brings up Anne, and Michael says who, and then of course he goes yes, uh, and I like when he tries to cover it. He goes, I didn't mean who, I meant uh, her, <laughs> <laughs> which is still not any better. Yeah. Uh, and as Anne enters the scene here, Michael says, excuse me, ma'am, which, of course, just makes one more thing that he's called her rather than her actual name. Um, and uh, we only get a brief little bit here of, uh, of of Mae Whitman. This is kind of the only point in the episode that she's in where she says, <laughs> she says, George Michael, you said you couldn't come to church because you were working and now you're doing neither. That's quite a lot of sins for a Sunday, don't you think? Um, and of course, as she says that, the waiter arrives with Maybe's virgin pina colada, and Anne goes. And now you're drinking. <laughs> and I just love how both yeah. Anne Maybe don't seem to understand what the virgin part of the the drink is. Uh, so I'm not even quite sure why why both of them think it contains alcohol. But I also like how well I I just feel so bad for George Michael at this point in this scene because he gets so like tongue-tied and flustered over trying to explain himself <laughs> and and that wonderful yeah. line where he's like uh he's like i i you know well, we're not ha- you know it's like i like having not fun with you i mean you're kind of not fun or i mean and he's just like digging a hole for himself we're like the trying yeah. to say that yes those things are fun i like having them too is all he's really trying to do <laughs> Uh, and Anne, of course, being very religious, as we found out in the Christmas episode, she goes back to church, <laughs> having already come from church. Yeah, um, I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure why she was at the boardwalk. Yeah, like, well, maybe the church is right there on the boardwalk. Maybe there's one there just for all the people who need it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. And of course, maybe says, "Well, she just killed my buzz." I kind of, I kind of like how you know that that was basically how um, Alia Shawcat was playing the scene. So she asks if you know he's still enjoying the relationship, and George Michael basically says that he figured she would break up with him, which of course actually did happen yeah. this season. We've already had them break up, uh, but then they, you know, they were put together uh, again after the after George Senior's fake funeral. Uh, and then, of course, you know, this is where we get... Uh, there's a point here where there would have been a cut scene. Uh, the first of a few cut scenes that would have gone in the episode where Michael talks about the three times. Yeah. <laughs> Michael talks about the three times and, you know, Lindsay says, big deal, three times. I've had three times plenty of times. Um, and, of course, we find out uh, that those have taken place without Tobias. <laughs> um, I, I love that line, too, where he comes in and he's like, did you call me? And she's like, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the funny thing is this scene would have been expanded slightly by Tobias actually being in the kitchen. I don't think Tobias is in the kitchen uh, during this scene. Well, because I think if by the cutscene, I think 
Oh well, it, oh, I was gonna say like he, it should it would come that at the end of it, so he might have would have like walked in after all of this. Yeah, I don't actually because I think he might have been the first person to turn on a chair, and then he might have left after that, and then we would have. Oh got, yeah, that uh, that would work Joe. too. I think. I think that's where the cutscene comes. But Tobias has this line where he talks about, you know, his wife, and he he <laughs> says he lists off various attributes, saying, you know, blonde and everything. Blonde, and then vapid he adds whore. whore at the end. Yeah, yeah, blonde, vapid whore. And then <laughs> Michael goes, "I didn't say whore." And Tobias goes, <laughs> "I added that," uh, which is a great little exchange, which we kind of lose from the episode, unfortunately. But it would have made this. There's like a chair turning gag that they go into here in this scene. And it would have basically meant that there would have been a rule of three on that. I, and I forgot about that, that this that little joke was in there. That's just one of my favorite, like, just small, like, one episode jokes that they do there. I, I don't yeah. know why, but just them trying to dramatically, like, you know, turn in the chair. Because it doesn't, because <laughs> it's not like an office chair. So they, can, so they have to actually just, like, move the whole thing. And they're yeah. trying to be dramatic as they're saying their lines. Like, they're trying to... Yeah, in the... For, for the joke, all three of them chose chairs that aren't spinners, basically. Yeah. And so, first of all, Job turns around saying, Oh, how delicious! <laughs> Michael says, let's not spin in the comfy chair, uh, as he kind of just scrapes along yeah. the floor. And, you know, Job says, Look at this delicious piece of irony. I'm being sued for divorce. And, of course, Michael's like, You thought you were single? And Job's like, Yeah, I keep forgetting that I got married. Um, and, of course... You know, we see uh, from the previous year, uh, we see Job and wife of Job uh, in in escalating dares. Uh, and the narrator explains how they got married, uh, which basically was a dare. She's a dare. Yeah, she is. And I like how Job goes, it's all coming back to me now. As if he's just kind of heard the narrator tell the kind of tale. Uh, and he says she was a seal dealer. She raised and sold deal- seals to aquariums and marine parks. Um, and I like how he says she went off to fight her war as if this was not the actual kind of like main war that was going on at a particular time. Uh, and of course, the narrator lets us know that while in the service, her, her penchant for daring found a natural outlet. And we get a photoshopped picture here of Amy Poehler in the Abu Ghraib torture pictures. <laughs> Yeah, posing um, and which, oh. yeah, which were very like which were very current. Yeah, like th- that you know when this episode went out, so that was kind of like a, f- a very kind of uh, timely joke that they made. Um, and I'm not 100 percent sure that I'm happy with that joke because obviously those people in that picture, other than Amy Poehler, were really being tortured. So it feels a bit cheap to use it as a, a kind of punchline, but. Uh, you know, I, I guess, I guess, kind of that's that's what they wanted to go for, um, and then of course, you know, Job we find out looked after one of the seals after after his wife left. Well, I I just like how Michael Michael's like, I didn't know you were raising a seal, and he's like, I I wasn't. I got <laughs> like immediately after, <laughs> and they because he had he had trouble with it, and they immediately show the trouble he had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I like his distraction tactic as well as saying, look, one of the desperate housewives. Um, so desperate. Of course, at this particular time, Desperate Housewives was one of the shows that was on, um, not at the same time, but it was on on the Sunday night uh, when um, Arrested Development was. And it was obviously, you know, the I think at the time, either the number one or number two show, it was it was huge. Um, something people forget about Desperate Heights was that show for the first couple of seasons was gigantic um, 
And of course, this is where Job talks about how he got rid of the seal and he says, so I released them from whence they came. Um, which, of course, is a line that he said um, a few times before. Uh, and I like how Michael goes, um, what's her first name? Quickly. And Job goes, Crindy. <laughs> which, is, which is like not a name. Uh, and then he 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 guesses at uh, Saul Zentzman, uh, which after looking at the paper is like, wait, no, that's her lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, which is a play on um, Saul Zentz, who was a uh, a big producer in the seventies and eighties. Um, and I like here where he says um, she's got a name, and I'm going to find out where it is, and I'm going to make a pun on it. She's <laughs> just such a. Kind of like an odd thing that he wants to find out. And of course, he gives a bad example saying, if her name's Amy, I'll call her Blamey. Obviously, a reference to the fact that Amy Poehler did actually play uh, Job's wife. Yeah. And I like how Michael says, that's a strong defense. <laughs> and they were currently married at this time, right? Will Arnett and Amy Poehler, I mean. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah. Um, and, you know, this is where they blame all their woes on their mother. And this is when Lucille yes. decides to announce her presence. She's out on the patio and she spins around uh, once again on a chair that doesn't spin. So she's just basically scraping across the floor. When he, when he, I love how like after the defense line, he says, I, we can call Barry. And he's like, I, he's, I think he's been prepaid for Lindsay and Tobias's divorce by my dad. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, George Sr. really didn't like Tobias. Yes. Uh, well, we know that from his time yeah. when he was in prison and he sold him. Um, and <laughs> Lucille details what is going on with Buster, um, where she says that, you know, they're going to meet on the beach. Do you know what this is about? Because if it's about going in the ocean, the answer is no, he's not going in the ocean. And I love her delivery of that line because nobody asked what's going on. <laughs> um, and then this is where we get one, probably one of my favorite lines where, you know, Michael talks about the the kind of Michael Moore thing that happened in the first episode where and he says it wasn't Michael Moore it was a Michael Moore lookalike and it wasn't in front of the whole country it was for a bit on Jimmy Kimmel Live and of course Lucille says I don't know who that is and I don't care to find out <laughs> which is a variation on the I don't understand the question and I'm not going to dignify it with an answer which is obviously you know something that Lucille has said before now um and we find out that um, Lucille and Buster are having a photo shoot on the beach, which um, there's, there's quite a lot of kissing involved. <laughs> the photographer basically says to them, that's enough kissing. And, you know, Buster is trying to tell Lucille that he's being shipped out to Iraq, but she's obviously not listening. Um, and, um, you know, Lucille, you know, thinks that <laughs> he wants to go swimming in the ocean. Um which keeps kind of coming up out of nowhere. Um, and there was although a it will pay off quick throw in off, the end of the episode. Uh, throw off to the Balboa uh, Bay window again. Yes, yeah. Where he's like... we see. Well, we actually we see the cover of them, because obviously the old Balboa Bay window cover was of them when, they were, when Buster was young. And, and we see them older, recreating the pose, <laughs> but with the picture of them younger on the inset. Yeah, and, um, and they're arguing and... and, and She's like mentions that cover, and he, and he's like, "I was thirty then. I'm thirty two now." <laughs> yeah. Yes. What happened to keeping it fresh? I like as well, of course, that Lucille, when she says kids don't come with a handbook, the narrator says, "In fact, there are thousands of books written on child rearing." 
and the narrator lets us know that Buster is far from ready to go swimming in the ocean. And we get to the start of a scene which was actually a little bit longer, um, which is where the second um, cutscene would have gone. Uh, actually, I should have mentioned there was another cutscene where the kids were talking about the the record, the three times record, and Lucille said she had it beat with four times. Oh. And Job ha- Job has the line where he says, "Now I can never use the number four again." And once once they arrive and find Barry Zuckercorn, the the longer extended version of the scene really hammers in yeah, that traumatized Barry has been taking. Yeah. Well, Barry oh. has been taking credit for <laughs> for Michael's being divorced. But obviously, Michael is a widower, and you know, in the actual script, you know, he says, "I got Ma- I got Michael out of his marriage, didn't I?" And Michael says, "Actually, she died." And Barry goes, "You're kidding me! I've been taking credit for that for years." And in the extended version, there's a couple of extra jokes in there about how Barry seems to think that Michael is is kidding, and when she goes, when he says she died, he goes, "Yeah, we killed it." Yeah, and it's 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 quite funny. But he also says he also comes up with something for his um, his case where he he says I wish I'd thought of that four days ago, and Job exits the scene very quickly um, because now the number four makes him ill, which which I think is is quite funny. That, but I mean I guess I can understand why they cut it because like without the setup at the beginning, yeah, uh, with the whole thing with Lucille, it kind of doesn't make any sense. Plus. The kind of Barry hammering home how he got Michael out of his marriage just makes him look kind of callous. Yeah, like, like just having the one the one joke makes it look like he's a bit forgetful. But having it two jokes just makes it look like he doesn't like he. Ha- it's just it's just an odd turn for his character. And is it in the cutscene or or even or did they still keep it where he asked if he can still take credit for that? Oh, that's in the cutscene. Yeah, so I can uh, see why they cut yeah. that because you know not only. It goes from not only being callous, but also kind of like, you know, like uh, conniving the to, to or conning to to use something yeah. like now that he actually knows about it, he still wants to use it and and does it. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a weird turn. Now I think obviously you know um, Henry Winkler is charming as Barry Zuckercorn, despite his kind of obvious failings. But I think like that's I w- I don't know if it would make him irredeemable past that, but it's just like the fact that he. Once he knows that the you know that that um, Michael's a widower, the fact that he still wants to use that just ends up making him look like he's cruel. Yeah, and I don't think that's the character. I think he's incompetent. He's not. He's not someone who will who kind of would do that. Of course, this is where Joe mentions Saul Zentzman again, and Barry says, "I have Chinese with him every Friday at Miss Temple's." <laughs> now that is a, a joke about uh, you know Barry and Saul Zentzman's religion because obviously if they were having chinese on a friday then they would be missing temple much like everybody else is skipping church um and so that's that's like a nice kind of subtle joke yeah and it's called miss temple of course which which they have a callback to that in the next episode where barry has been spanking maggie liza on the ass in court um so they kind of call back to that uh, and then this is where we get probably one of my favorite things that the show starts to do once we get further into season two and season three, which is calling back to its own jokes, not just kind of like, you know, running gags, but calling back to a very specific joke, uh, which is Job saying, I just want my wife back, which is obviously a variation on what Tom Jane said when he was in uh, episode two. And he said, I just want my kids back. <laughs> And at this particular point, Barry says, Hey, 
on, save it for the stand, okay, Tom Jane? You know, I kind of, I kind of like. It's just such a weird thing that, like, at this particular point in time, Thomas Jane wasn't that famous, but within the show, he's, you know, he's very, he's very famous. So, yeah, everyone has seen that movie in this, in this, in this world of Arrested <laughs> Development. Yeah, Homeless Dad is like a huge hit um, for Tantamount Studios, uh, and this, of course, reintroduces uh, Maggie Liza. Uh, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Um, and we we obviously get the backstory on her because she was pretending to be blind. Um, and, you know, Michael also set the three-time record with her. Though, I'm going to be honest, if you go back and watch the episodes from last year, um, there's one scene where, he, where they keep like kind of going back and forth and they end up from what I can tell, having sex at least five or six times, um, you know, so I don't know. It's, uh, I just, maybe, I just like that they, maybe the record is just like one in one night. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, Cause that was in the morning. Um, when Michael was meant to be going to prison yeah. to see his, uh, his father. And then we get a, a you know, a, a quick recap of how their relationship ended, which was with Michael throwing the Bible <laughs> at her face. And I missed it, but, when when he does that, she's wearing like reddish glasses. Did you notice that reddish sunglasses? Which, uh, I, yeah, that's what she wore in the episode. Yeah, but and yeah. to be honest, like I not really, I don't, unfortunately, don't know a lot of blind people. But that always <laughs> the red glasses always reminded me of Matt Murdock from from comics because that was what he always yeah. wore. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a deliberate reference. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she 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 looks a little bit like Matt Murdock, um, and I like how when Michael asks how does she look, <laughs> Barry Barry goes, well, if you ask me, she's she's bigger, and we see uh, you know the narrator tell us that uh, we go back to the courtroom and we see the narrator say uh, she was bigger because she was pregnant, um, uh, and I like I like that you know. You know, in court, she t- she does this thing where she talks about uh, her, you know, Loretta being tempted day in day out by the skip scrambles, and then she says, "Bring them in, boys." And we see almost like a miracle on Thirty Fourth Street type thing where all these guys just bring in like twenty skip scrambles and start placing them on the table. And I don't know what the point of that is, but it's just such a weird kind of like the fact that she's still relying on like loyally kind of gimmicks. Rather than just kind of like trying to prosecute the case properly, I also like it's the return of uh, uh, Lionel Ping. Yes, Judge Ping is back, and of course we we find out you know like um, (laughs) Michael and Maggie meet, and uh, I like that um, you know she says I haven't seen you since we had an affair, and you ruined my career, (laughs) 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 which I think is a a great summation of the thing and they do a, a clever kind of visual thing here because obviously barry never said that she was pregnant yeah so when michael meets with her she's holding a box in front of herself from michael's point of view the audience are actually one step ahead of him at this particular point because um all we're actually seeing and this is obviously something that we'll get alluded to in a later scene is uh maggie Liza's breasts over the top of this box yeah. um and the shot is framed in a very like particular way um, and obviously, you know, as the juror comes up to, you know, um, talk to Maggie Liza, you know, she's she's talking about how she doesn't rely on cheap tricks to get the jury's sympathy. And then, of course, you know, um, 
when Maggie hands the box off, we can obviously see that she's pregnant, and Michael realizes that she's pregnant. Yeah, he's uh, like, but in between, and I love like his his uh, fumbling there. He's like, "When was the last time I saw you? About a year?" And she's like, "Ah!" After she hands off the box, eight and a half months, and, and then when it realizes, <laughs> yeah. he's like, eight and a half months. Could have sworn it was a year." I, I think it's funny. Obviously, we we you know, Judge Ping wants to see Maggie in his chambers. But not for any, you know, anything related to the case. Just because he's got an Ocean Sands toddler <laughs> rocker that the bailiff has assembled, which I quite like. Um, and of course, um, you know, that whole eight and a half months—it could, it, you know, it's a year thing—is is kind of a meta reference to the fact that it was eleven months since the last time we actually saw <laughs> the character of Maggie yeah. Liza. Um, and so, obviously, I think it's a kind of bit of a reference, you know, to the fact that the the you know the the schedule for you know this this show was sort of messed about with a little bit, so I think they were really expecting this episode to go out a little bit earlier in the season, uh, but it got pushed back a bit. So I feel it's it's kind of a little bit of a commentary on that. Uh, but I do like how the narrator, when we come back from the break, he sums it up by saying. Michael had just learned that the woman he'd been intimate with eight and a half months earlier was eight and a half months pregnant. Uh, <laughs> and and I think that's just like such a neat kind of summary of like the situation. But yeah, and of course this is where Maggie starts. We get this weird thing in this episode and the next episode where Maggie basically sort of tells the truth to Michael when she says he's not the father. Um, and then in the next episode she she starts lying about it. But in this episode she's actually relatively honest about where their relationship finished um, and you know the fact that they don't they're not going to be having a child together like that's she never lies about that in this episode she just basically says you're not the father um, and oh. kind of doesn't want to get into the discussion about it a neat little thing that I just noticed like I I paused the uh, scene what listen like I have it running in the background for a reference and I noticed that the two cops that you know play a big part in the next episode are actually yes in the back of the courtroom like nervously watching yeah. like every move that Maggie <laughs> makes and i think they've been there the entire like you know the entire scene in that courtroom yes they're in both both of them um officer i'm trying to remember the name of the the characters officers Taylor and Carter i think they are played by Jerry Miner and Jay Johnston they are in all of the court like all of the courtroom scenes feature them in the background. <laughs> um, but obviously you don't, you don't notice them in this episode, but in the next episode, yeah. then they be obviously, you know, their story becomes a bit more obvious, but yeah, that is like a nice little kind of background detail. You know, at this particular point, I, well, I mean, I like uh, that Maggie says, um, if you're interested, come to the baptism, you can hurl a, ba- a Bible at the baby, um, <laughs> which is such a kind of like, such a like kind of clever line um you know just to make it clear kind of what she thinks but you know it's clear that maggie is saying he's not the father and she's saying that he doesn't need to do anything else and that you know they don't need to get back together or anything like that so she's being quite clear on on you know what need what should be happening but it's michael who for some reason decides <laughs> Um, you know, he tells he tells Maggie he goes to tell Sally that he you know he he wants to be honest with her and he says you need to know about my child, um, and then you know he talks about how there might be another child in the mix, um, 
and how you know she was she's a person who just basically lied to him all the time um and i like that <laughs> you know so yeah sally sums it up by saying you think you're having a baby because a woman who lies to you told you you weren't yeah, and then Michael goes. That's a great way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> See, we are, we always com- we communicate well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I just think is it's really funny about like the way that he kind of she sums it up, and then of course we don't actually see them break up. We only hear Lindsay tell us about it because we then cut to Lindsay, and you know, uh, you know, he he says Sally broke up with me, um, uh, and then we get this we get this thing where he says. Um, I didn't even know she was pregnant when I first saw her. her. <laughs> um, and he talks about she, uh, I saw, you know, he goes, when he says the first thing I saw was her giant chest. And then he goes, boss. boss. He goes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she had this. And he kind of stops and he goes, some people call it chest. I call it a box. She was holding a giant box. And it, I just find it funny that he's kind of fumbling um, to kind of like talk about it. And of course, he says, maybe I should have just stayed out of it, which I think is a pretty good assessment of what should have happened. You know, he could have stayed with Sally quite easily. He didn't need to. Maggie had made it clear he didn't need to get back with her. Uh, And then, of course, you know, there is actually something that, you know, Michael draws attention to, which is the box has 60 pounds written on it. And if you watch the shot as Maggie hands it off, 60 pounds is right towards the camera so you can see it. And I think it's funny because Job appears and he's like, you know what I do, Mike? Check their urine, making peanut cup and peanut cup right in front of me. And it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just the thing. And I like how he's like, uh, you know, I mean, I do it, but I'm going through a divorce guy, which is just like kind of like, I just, I just love how this divorce is taking all his time up. Um, <laughs> it's a good excuse. And we actually, I mean, Tobias was was cut out of the scene earlier, so this is actually the entrance of Tobias into this episode. When he talks about a pregnancy test, and he he describes the uh, the Frankenstein monster, where he says, "We had to create our little Frankenstein monster out of science and money and just a dash of maybe." What? How? How long have you been standing there? <laughs> <laughs> so there was one more appearance of maybe, and this is it, where she just basically walked in, and so we we get a further kind of hint at maybe's origins, and of course this is where Lindsay suggests that Tobias. And her will break into the house and get the specimen to test to find out if um, Maggie Eliza is indeed pregnant. And of course, <laughs> Tobias says, we'll be like Tracy and Hepburn. And then he goes, what do you say, you old poop? And of course, Lindsay goes, oh God, he's Hepburn. Uh, which, that's the only kind of reference actually to Tobias's sexuality in any way um, in this episode. It's just that kind of quick kind of, you know, him choosing to be Hepburn rather than Tracy, uh, which I think is like quite a funny thing. Um, and I like how as they leave, Lucille wanders back in and, you know, kind of still in denial about what's going on with um, with Buster. Um, and I like how Lucille says, yeah. he pushes my buttons. And Michael goes, he also zips you up and sands your elbows, which is just like... I mean, the zipping her up has kind of been horrific enough already, but the fact that now they add sanding her elbows, uh, you know, it, it's just kind of uh, it's kind of a bit terrible. Um, and then, of course, we get a flashback to earlier in the day, where Oscar is trying to convince Lucille that you know he's going to to war, um, and of course, this is where. Oscar actually says out loud, and this is the first time in the show where this has been the case. 
because up until now it's merely been hinted at where he says he is my boy and then he, of course he says i need macaroons um <laughs> which which i think kind of undercuts his case a little um and then of course lucille screams you're high and um oscar says you can't win every argument like that and of course we finish that scene with lucille saying i need ice which is something that job has said a few more times um and then, of course, once we get to we get further into that argument where Oscar says, um, you know, can't you see you're in denial? And then Lucille goes, you're high. And Oscar says, you're drunk. <laughs> um, which I think is quite funny. Um, and I think this is the first time that it's been confirmed, of course, that Buster is going to Iraq. Um, and we get we get the, the wolf howl. Which, yeah, um, I think this might be. This might be the final time that George Senior actually uses that to summon Michael <laughs> to the loft. Um, uh, but I like as well where he says the pipes. Yeah. <laughs> which is as if everyone understands now that the wolf howl is just the, you know, the pipes making a noise. Um, oh, and then this uh, this wonderful scene with Tobias and, and, and Lucille comes up. I, I love that, that he tries to explain denial to her and then she just comes back with that, oh, that horrible biting line to Tobias. You are a worse psychiatrist than you are a son-in-law and you will never get work as an actor because you have no talent. And I like how Tobias kind of stops for a second and then he goes, well, if she's not going to say anything, I certainly can't help her. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> such, a, such a weird kind of thing. Maybe and uh, George Michael reappear because... Uh, in a way to um, <laughs> to try and break up with Anne, maybe suggests using Gangi. Um, <laughs> and of course, I like how George Michael goes, but what would Gangi have to criticise about Anne? And maybe just going, oh, George Michael. <laughs> uh, which suggests that maybe herself has already got a list going on. Um, and then, of course, once we get up to the attic, we see... Uh, George Senior, and he is wearing the god costume from the Living Classics pageant. Um, I command you. We get a quick, yeah, we get a quick flashback to that, uh, and I, I do like Michael saying, "I hate it when you put on the god costume." And of course, you know, George keeps leaving the attic. Something which I think, you know, obviously over the course of the season, he leaves the attic quite a few times, and they don't really show how he gets down from the attic <laughs> and out of the house without anyone ever seeing him. But I do kind of like that here they, they sort of address it a little bit. Oh, and, uh, and Michael is kind of like, you're going to have to stop leaving the, the attic. Yeah. And and when after they show the the, the Living Masters pageant shot, which I was on the episode, we talked about that one too, by the way, which I thought was yeah. kind of a neat. Yeah. But I, he immediately <laughs> goes back to George, George Sr. saying, what if I never get the chance to reach out and touch that hand of his again? Yes. I mean... Uh, I think this, yes, this ep this episode has quite uh, like uh, that's one of two uh, big hints about what's going to happen with um, with uh, Buster's hand. Um, but yeah, because obviously it's also a double reference because it refers to the the creation of man that they they would do, and yeah. obviously in the creation of man, George Senior would touch um, would touch the hand. So. Uh, and I, I mean, that's the only appearance of George in the episode, just that one kind of brief scene, um, because Michael then goes to see Maggie, um, who is pretending to be blind so that she can she can give the pizza guy a five and tell him to keep the chain. Um, now, Loretta is the 
is the client that is suing Skip Church um, for all the Skip scrambles that she's eaten that have made her, as ba- Barry says, a fatty. Um, and, you know, Michael appears and he's kind of trying to convince Maggie that if the kid is his, you know, that maybe they should talk. And I like actually how Maggie's still honest here because Michael says, can you spare a few minutes for someone who might be the father of your baby? And Maggie says, of course I can, but it's not you. <laughs> so I, I kind of, I like how they, you know, she is basically telling him the truth, but for some reason he can't hear it. Uh, and of course, when he knocks on the, the door the second time, <laughs> Maggie is annoyed to see him. And I like how Loretta shouts in the background, come on. Um <laughs> taking Job's catchphrase there. Uh, and obviously, while this is going on at the front, I don't know if Michael is doing this as a distraction tactic. Uh, it seems to me like he is, because obviously he just keeps coming back to the door and trying to talk to Maggie when she's already told him several times now that he's not the father. Uh, Maggie, uh, on the other side of the house, Lindsay and Tobias are um, are having fun, basically. And I, I, I really enjoy this scene because... Um, you know, obviously, in terms of the dynamic of what goes on between Lindsay and Tobias, most of the time they are always fighting, or you know, they're they're unhappy with each other, uh, or one of them is happy and the other one's unhappy. Like we never reach a point in this relationship where both of them are happy until they break up, uh, and even then they're still not happy. Um, you know, which is obviously why they have Timasil and various other things on hand. Uh, but I like here how Tobias decides to cloak himself in Maggie's scent. And, of course, Lindsay says she's not blind. And Tobias goes, she was when she bought this. <laughs> <laughs> so they start kind of like making each other laugh uh, and just having fun. And I think it's it's an interesting kind of dynamic for this relationship because it's rare that we see them both in this kind of good of a mood. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, they hide when someone comes into the bathroom. Um, which, you know, obviously in the next episode, we'll find out that this leads to a misunderstanding, essentially. Mm. Um, And now here's an interesting thing, which is um, we see George again, um, only very briefly. He only delivers a couple of lines. Um, But I think it's interesting here because obviously Buster's paternity is not really a storyline that they've, you know, that's been explicit at any point. This is the first time where, you know, you've had Oscar basically state that he is Buster's father. And, you know, uh, the anger of that is what will lead Buster into the ocean. (laughs) It's interesting here that this parallels a little bit the whole stuff with Michael and Maggie Liza, where Michael is trying to claim the paternity of of a child. Um, And obviously Lucille spends most of, you know, the show denying the paternity of her youngest child. Not her youngest, youngest child, because obviously that's Anyong, and he's currently being punished um, by going to the Milford Academy. Um, but I think it's interesting that, you know... It's all a misunderstanding, because it was... George Sr. was wearing that wig of that he's, he took again. Yes. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and like, even Buster Sleepy says, you're a good uncle, and he's like, not your, not your uncle, your, your father. And that's and the... yes, yeah. So I think it's interesting that we have kind of two stories about paternity of children going on at the same time. Um, and this is obviously the one where they choose to reveal, um, you know, properly that the Buster is indeed Oscar's son. 
Um, and that's obviously at the same time as Maggie is basically telling um, Michael that her child is not his. Um, so I think that's that's quite interesting that, they, that this is the episode that they choose to do that. And obviously, you know, George explains that, you know, a man can hide and there's, there's courage in that. Um, trying to encourage Buster to run away, basically. Um, yeah. And then, of course, once Buster... I was going to yes. say, and Lucille confronts Oscar that he... that. He, like you told him and he's like i didn't know such thing and they do the you're high you're yeah. drunk again and they find and they find the wig oh, straight away you know buster goes to to tell uh lucille that he's going to war um uh, and you know i i I, <laughs> I like i like how when he gets angry he says uh uncle oscar is my father he just told me so and maybe you're not even my real mother for all i know it's lucille too is my real mother and then he, he realizes what that means and he goes oh and <laughs> so which is which is kind of the only explicit kind of incest storyline that they put into an episode um in this episode which is which is just that that one line um but of course you know the the kind of the, the final you're drunk you're high is f- conforming to the rule of 3 because that is the third time that they <laughs> shouted that at each other um and then obviously they realize that that George is nearby and he's come to to tell Buster and uh, Lucille snaps out her denial at yeah. possibly the worst time for maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the same way that you know when when um when Lucille wanted to split up Lucille 2 and Buster um it, George senior happened to convert um to Judaism at that particular moment thus meaning he wouldn't break them up. Again we we get someone converting to religion and and like not breaking up a couple. Um, something that you know the blues spend a lot of time doing is breaking up couples Uh, and you know Lindsay and Tobias they gather the evidence to find out if Maggie is pregnant they also find out the the box that says 60 pounds on it didn't weigh 60 pounds so all of these little things that have been set up over the course of the episode are kind of paid off here Um, and obviously (laughs) um, this is where Tobias and Lindsay have slightly uh, too much fun because (laughs) Uh, they have sex in the shower uh, which finishes with Tobias saying and this time no tears <laughs> uh, and you know they, they basically and they dress up the know, dog in, in the baby clothes <laughs> yeah they have it's funny because you know like they have quite a lot of fun um, like, and in the next episode we'll find out how invested they become in this this soon to be born child and I, I, uh, I and I feel bad for the dog because isn't it supposed to be blind yes just this is blind uh, as the title of the episode told us a year ago. Um, yeah, so they're just dressing up a blind dog. Uh, now, of course, when Michael tells Maggie about Sally Sitwell, um, she basically says, says, you know, she had her little play oven. And of course, Michael says it's a funny name, but she's a doll. And Maggie goes, yeah, I had one. And he's like, you pull her hair and she'd cry or something. Um, which uh, Michael quite cruelly goes, this one does that too, which is... I don't. I don't think the breakup of him and Sally Sitwell justifies that. But uh, now, obviously, uh, you know Lindsay. Um, she tells Michael that um, you know the box is not sixty pounds. You know, there's baby clothes, uh, and obviously, you know that she's having a good time with Tobias. And you know, this is where Michael says, "No more lies. Tell me the truth." If that if that baby is mine, we're meant to be together. And now this is where Maggie, for the first time in this episode, when asked to be told the truth, 
tells a lie and she says of course it is michael um and then you know this is where Lindsay opens the very light box and finds out that there's a fake pregnancy stomach in it um and you know they they tell uh, michael that she's actually faking it i mean michael doesn't hear that message straight away uh, because we cut away and we see <laughs> george michael and maybe and Anne at the penthouse and you know Lucille obviously is feeling very down because of what's happening with Buster. Um, and I like how Maybe says, do you have any bread pudding? Because you'd be surprised how much this one can put away. <laughs> obviously, she knows what what buttons Lucille likes to push. Uh, so I think that line is quite funny. Um, and, and then obviously she says, Buster's not here. There's no one to finish it. I don't know if I can ever eat again. And I like how Anne then, you know, decides to kind of convince Lucille, you know, to turn to the power of prayer. Um, and I like how the narrator says, This was a big get for God. It's <laughs> such um, a great line. <laughs> um, Michael finally goes to introduce Maggie Liza to George Michael. Um, and I like how <laughs> Michael says, This is going to be easy. He's been signing off on everyone lately. <laughs> Just such a weird thing. Uh, now, obviously, when Maggie asks about the about Barry Zuckercorn, where she says, "What's the deal on Barry Z- on Zuckercorn?" and she basically tells this is where she starts telling the truth again because she says that the fat case is pretty thin, um, uh, and she, you know, this is where Michael hears the finally hears the message about the the kind of lies, um, and you know, he he finally calls her a liar. Um, is this a funny line which Maggie says about Barry hanging out at rest stops? Yeah, I, and I heard uh, I heard he hangs out at rest stops. It's like lying to you. It's like, well, okay, I only heard. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean the shop the the, the the show was actually shown him at rest stops, yeah. so, <laughs> so it's not a lie. Um, and of course, this is where you know Michael kind of talks about how the you know what he's discovered, and I, I like that he says, "What are you wearing right now? Is this the ready to burst model?" Uh, which in the next episode we find out is actually true. Um, and then, of course, he says, Now, there's zero trust here. Goodbye. It's been fun. Not. And... <laughs> the narrator like points out how plain that was. <laughs> yeah, he says... Michael had hoped something more dramatic would have come out of his mouth, or at least more current. <laughs> yeah, and of course Maggie instantly kind of copies him because she goes, because I'm faking it, as she pulls her top up and says, not. And I love Julie Louis-Dreyfus's kind of weird delivery of the word not. Um, and then of course, you know, Tobias calls up again. Uh, no, sorry, Tobias and, and Lindsay return and he says, Michael, my wife and I have finally had the thrill of seeing a plus sign on a pregnancy test, which is an odd thing to say. Um, and Lindsay, of course, says you're going to be a daddy, uh, and that's how the episode finishes. Um, and then in the on the next, uh, we get uh, the narrator telling us that Barry gets a break on his his case, uh, and this is this is where Barry says the fat girl in his in his Skip Church's case is not fat. Her attorney bought her a fat suit, uh, and then of course he says I've got another case. Maggie is suing you for paternity. Now, interestingly enough, in the next episode. Um, you know, Michael still knows about the, the, the kind of like Barry still knows about the fat suit stuff, but the whole suing for paternity thing kind of goes away. Um, and then, of course, uh, we get possibly the most important part to ever happen in the on the next, which is 
Lucille <laughs> prays for the first time. Yeah. And Buster is sitting on a bench where it says arm off next to him. <laughs> and he decides to pursue a long delayed rite of passage by getting into the sea. Uh, and a guy on the beach says, Lucille, watch out for Lucille. And Buster, of course, yells back, I don't care about Lucille. Uh, and the narrator then says, And then a seal bites off his hand. <laughs> and we see Lucille go, Amen, as her prayer finishes. And that's the end of the episode. And I find it so funny that something that basically becomes a defining trait of a character is done in the last three seconds of an episode. Yeah. <laughs> in the on the next. And they just kind of throw it away. Uh, so is there anything else that you feel we need to cover about this episode? Uh, not well, hold on like there was like a lot of just you know back and forth uh they they callbacks in this episode and i was and i forgot about that when i like when i uh like rewatching it just brought to fore like how much this show builds upon itself like it was just reminding me like how how uh it's kind of one of those shows that you know, it's really hard for people who who haven't seen any earlier episodes to get into. You know, because cause, I mean, like a lot of it's funny and and stuff like that, but it's just so much more funny if you've seen previous episodes. Yeah, and uh, on the next episode of I've made a huge mistake, uh, we're going to be talking about the second part of this two-parter um, later this week. Um, my guests will be uh, Melissa Becker and Alex Keeley. Um, and that will be called Hand to God, which, you know, <laughs> uh, is the first episode where we get to see Buster and his hook, uh, you know, which I should mention now. I think I've mentioned it on that episode as well. But Tony Hale, over time, um, grew to not like having to wear the thing that made the hook work. Uh, and I think, you know, he kind of became a little annoyed with the fact that this was the direction that they took the character because <laughs> it kind of just became his defining kind of thing, wasn't it? It was just it just ended up being all about the hook, basically. And, and the kind of the character kind yeah, of lost I, a little bit, I feel. Yeah. And I, I, I remember you guys talking about that and I kind of felt like like, oh, it's like losing a limb is a <laughs> is a horrible, like life defining moment. And I'm like, oh. I mean, I think the thing is, if you if you kind of count how many episodes Tony Hale was in in the first season, because he wasn't yeah. in every episode, yeah, and you count how many episodes he's been up to this point, um, in the fifth in the first fifty three episodes, Buster has a hand for exactly half the episodes that he appears in. <laughs> in the third season, it's telling that they kind of dropped the hook a little bit and they just gave him a fake hand because then Tony Hale could just wear a glove over his hand and that was it. Uh, but yeah, so this is kind of the start of that kind of important kind of character development basically um so you know we'll get we'll get into that a lot more in the next episode uh but otherwise uh thanks to everyone for listening and goodbye bye